What's going on, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the podcast. And yes, we have once again rebranded. Shocking, I know. <laughs> the, this podcast has only existed for like a month, and we've already rebranded twice. Uh, but this should be the final rebrand. We are now the unsponsored podcast. Uh, I'm going to wait to get Zach in here probably later this week to explain why we went with uh, with with this uh, new title and why we went with another rebrand. Um <laughs> But uh, you can you can take your guesses as to why in the meantime, and we'll explain it um, eventually. Uh, but yeah, we're not rolling with the unsponsored branding. Um, you know, same same RSS feed, same all that stuff. So you don't have to resubscribe or anything like that. Uh, just a change in the title. So uh, hopefully it stays this way, and hopefully we stick with this. Uh, I have no doubt in my mind that we will because we're kind of tired of, the, of, of rebranding. But uh, we'll 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 explain why. Um, soon enough. I'm going to talk a little bit about the NFL draft, going to talk a little bit about the MJ documentary, uh, The Last Dance, that's been airing on ESPN. Um, And before we get started and get into all that, I just hope everybody out there is doing okay. Um, You know, I hope everybody out there is healthy. It's been very, very nice in Sacramento the last week or so, uh, as far as weather goes. So hopefully that doesn't tempt people to go outside and gather in places like the lake or, you know, hopefully it doesn't tempt people to drive out to the beach, you know, drive down to the Bay Area and things like that. Um, Hopefully you're staying indoors. Hopefully you're keeping away from people. I know we're all hearing different things about the progress as it pertains to this uh, virus, but I think the safest bet is to just stay home and and keep away from other people and and eventually we'll, we'll get through this and we'll get through this a lot quicker if everybody just stays home and stops gathering in places, because, uh, that, that's, that's kind of been, uh, it's kind of been an issue in Sacramento. That, that's, that's been happening a little bit. Um, so hopefully everybody out there is doing great. Hopefully everybody out there is staying healthy. Um, and, and, and again, just stay inside people, please. Uh, all right, we'll get into the NFL draft. Uh, I think the first thing that I want to mention when it comes to the draft is kudos to ESPN and, and really all the media outlets, that were covering the draft. Um, ESPN, for a three-day event that was on air for roughly 15 hours, did a great job in regards to this draft because you know we're talking about we're talking about the first ever virtual draft in NFL history, completely remote. None of the owners or GMs or coaches or anything like that were, were in the same place. Uh, and yet teams were still able to pull off trades. Uh, picks were getting in in a timely manner uh, all three days. I mean, it, 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 was, it, 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 was, it was great. It, it was a great watch. Um, so shout out to the media people, uh, you know, both in front of the camera and behind the camera because a lot goes into making that happen. Um, I know that there were certain things about – ESPN's draft coverage uh, that people weren't big fans of. Um, in particular, a lot of the stuff that they were doing, you know, they were kind of digging up dirt on certain on, on certain prospects or, 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 you know, sad, tragic stories that they were kind of just openly broadcasting for, for, for the general public that was watching to, to know about these guys. Um, you know, you would, you, you, would, you would think that during probably the biggest day of their lives, you would leave that stuff on the side, but um, you know they, they were doing that throughout the entire draft, uh, and and I that's a conversation for another day. But I know that a lot of people weren't fans of it, me included. Um, but uh, overall, a great great job by ESPN on the draft coverage. Um, so at the top of the draft, Joe Burrow goes number one. Uh, I think that pick was made months ago. If you saw any of Joe Burrow in college, you you probably you know, by like December, when he won the Heisman, um, you probably had an inkling that yeah, he's probably he's probably gonna go number one. And then if you watch the college football playoff and watched him completely dominate two very good teams, then well, yeah, it was a foregone conclusion. So Joe Joe Burrow from LSU, uh, he transferred down to LSU from Ohio State, and he's originally from the state of Ohio. So good on him going back home. Uh, hopefully the Bengals can build a winner there. They haven't won a playoff game since forever. Um, so. Uh, Good luck to them, and congratulations to Joe Burrow going number one overall. Number two, Washington, they picked Chase Young, defensive end from Ohio State. Uh, 
I mean, it's 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 crazy to me that Nick Bosa of the 49ers played on the same defensive line as Chase Young for just one season. But it, it that's just that's nuts to me because Chase Young is arguably more gifted and even more talented than Nick Bosa. And they played on the same football team, on the same defensive line. I'm trying to figure out how anybody even scored or how quarterbacks even survived a game against Ohio State. Uh, But he goes second to Washington. So Ron Rivera, new head coach uh, for Washington. He's he's starting from the ground up there, basically. And he's he's found himself a defensive cornerstone. Um, The next notable pick, Tua Tonga-Vailoa goes fifth to Miami. So the Dolphins, who... Really, all year, especially after they got to a, they got off to a poor start last season. Many people were kind of saying, "Hey, tank for Tua, just tank for Tua." And uh, obviously, a lot has happened between then and now. Uh, yeah, they started off poorly, but they came on pretty strong towards the end of the season and cost themselves basically four, four or five spots in the draft. And so, Tua kind of all of a sudden stopped being a possibility at a certain point. But then. Unfortunately for Tua, but in this in this scenario, fortunately for the Dolphins, uh, Tua gets hurt a couple times, messes up his ankles, um, and uh, also this past season, I mean, he had another ankle thing that uh, that that wasn't that big. All the all the doctors are saying, "Well, look, his his ankles are fine. The big issue is he had a very very bad hip injury," and um, the Dolphins, to their credit took it upon themselves to 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 visit him and check him out uh, at their own volition and and tried to make sure that that he was 100% okay and that he was recovering well. So they did that. They they checked his medicals, all that stuff and 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 in their eyes everything looks great. So so they decided to take to a fifth overall. The Dolphins have their franchise quarterback. I would be shocked. Absolutely shocked if Tua actually plays a down uh, if there is an NFL season this coming fall, I apparently there's optimism that there will be, uh, and, and I hope so. But uh, if there's an NFL season this year, I I I highly doubt that Tua even plays a snap. I, I if I if I'm in the Dolphins at least, and I mean I'm not a GM, I'm not the owner of that team or anything like that, uh, or, or the head coach. But if I but I've, if I'm a part of that organization, and if I'm and and if I know I'm in it for the long haul. And I want this guy to be 100% right. I would try to get him to 150%. I would just let his body recover because his body has been through a lot over the last two years at Alabama. So uh, good on the Dolphins. I I, I love that pick. I, I think many people felt like if he did drop just a little bit um, past the second, third, and fourth picks that he probably wouldn't get past Miami. So Miami swoops him up and they have their quarterback of the future. Um Next notable pick as far as a quarterback goes, Justin Herbert goes sixth to Los Angeles, the Chargers. Um, I actually got to see Justin Herbert in person. Uh, I, I went to go, I'm, I'm a California Golden Bears fan, so I saw Justin Herbert absolutely light up my Cal Bears when he was a junior. So he stayed all four years. He decided to come back for a senior year, and his stock dropped a little bit. Uh, I, I, I think if he had come out after last season for the 2019 draft he he there's there's probably conversations of him being the top pick but uh some people think he kind of killed his stock by going back personally to me i mean if you're still a top 10 pick that's not bad so uh good for justin herbert went back and didn't really take that big of a hit to his draft stock he goes sixth to the los angeles chargers um and and again, yeah, I I I have seen him in person. I mean, like you know, for me, seeing football players in person only means so much. I'm I'm not a football player. I'm not a football coach or a football mind by by any uh, by any stretch. But uh, what I do know about my California Golden Bears is under the current head coaching staff, they have a very very good defense. You know that that's that's where that's where they make their money and that's where they earn their stripes at Cal right now is, is on their defense. Their defense is a lot for them. And um, they had a particularly good defense over the last two seasons. And when Justin Herbert was a junior, he 
walked right into Berkeley and absolutely torched a very, very good secondary. And he, and he can make all the throws from what I could see. He can, um, you know, to the far side of the field, um, you know, slants, outs. I mean, they were throwing deep posts. And he was just standing back there and just making absolutely all the throws and, and just throwing them on a rope. The dude can spin it. So, um, you know, I think with proper time and development, and, and really this goes for any quarterback, right? With proper time, development, all that stuff, uh, he can be really good. And they've got um, Tyrod Taylor right now in Los Angeles. You know, maybe he maybe he just sits behind him, learns, or or, or sits behind him for most of this coming season, uh, and then comes in, and, and, and we'll see how he performs. But, uh, you know, the, the, the Chargers lost Phillip Rivers in free agency. Uh, it'll be weird not seeing Philip Rivers back there being the quarterback for the Chargers for the first time in, I think, 16, 17 years or whatever it was. Um, but uh, there's their quarterback of the future. Uh, the other notable quarterback pick of the first round, Jordan Love, goes 26th to the Green Bay Packers. And the Packers, mind you, still have Aaron Rodgers. And before the draft, Aaron Rodgers was saying, hey, it'd be nice if the Packers got me a skill position player in the first round, because for as long as Aaron Rodgers has been, <clears throat> has been the starter for the Green Bay Packers, they, they have, ne- they have not drafted a skill position player in the first round. They have not drafted someone with a first round grade or someone who is projected to go in the first round at a skill position for Aaron Rodgers, which is just crazy to think about because you would think that if you have one of the best quarterbacks of this generation, you would give him more toys. Well, the Packers were just like, eh. (laughs) He's good enough. We don't need to give him that many weapons. Uh, You know, they have Devontae Adams, who's one of the best receivers in the league, but he wasn't even a first-round choice. He was just, I think he was a second-rounder that ended up turning out to be a great pick. Um but they haven't gotten somebody with, you know, elite uh, talent on the outside or in the backfield for Aaron Rodgers. And after he basically through the media begs for a skill position player in the first round, they decide to pick a quarterback. So now all of a sudden he's looking over his shoulder. Uh, Jordan Love from Utah State. I think a lot of people had him going middle of the first round. I think a lot of people had the Raiders maybe taking him. Um, a couple of other quarterback needy teams in there or teams that should be thinking about a quarterback for the future were, were pegged to take him. But the but the Packers traded up to 26 to take Jordan Love. So, yeah, I, 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 I can't imagine how Aaron Rodgers is feeling right now, but I know he's probably not that happy. And then for the rest of the draft, Packers pick no skill position players. They pick a receiver, running back, tight end, or anything like that. So uh, they're not really doing their best to uh, curry their favor uh, for Rodgers. But um, I guess we'll see how that all works out. But it looks like Green Bay has their eventual successor to Aaron Rodgers. I believe Rodgers is signed through 2022. So he's still going to be there for a few more seasons. But um, yeah, they're already looking to the future. And really, you can't fault them. You can't blame them. They know that that you know Rogers is headed towards the end of his career. But uh, yeah, very very interesting pick, and, and almost immediately this speculation began about oh, I wonder how Aaron Rodgers feels about this. I guess it's just something that we're gonna have to keep an eye on um, as NFL fans. Uh, I think the most interesting group of prospects in this year's draft was the wide receivers. Uh, I mean, there were some very, very good, uh, highly graded receivers going deep into the draft. You know, we're talking fifth, sixth, even the seventh round. Um, I think the consensus top three, though, were Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy of Alabama and C.D. Lamb of the Dallas. uh, I mean, I'm sorry. Well, he was chosen by Dallas, but of Oklahoma, C.D. Lamb. And um, I'm not quite sure how many people had Henry Ruggs at the top of their list, but he ended up being the first wide receiver off the board. Uh, the, the, see, I, I, I caught myself. I was going to say the Oakland Raiders, but the, the, the now Las Vegas Raiders chose Henry Ruggs first receiver off the board at number 12. 
And uh, a lot of people were making the joke that this is uh, ah, this is just a typical Raiders thing. They like speed. And if you love speed, there's a lot to love about Henry Ruggs because he ran a 4-2-7 40-yard dash at the combine. I, th- I think that was the fastest time amongst all receivers. Uh, and, um, you know, I, me personally, Ruggs scared me a little bit. Uh, you know, th- there, there was talk that the, the Niners who were in that range wanted to get a receiver. And I, I, I actually had Ruggs probably fourth or fifth on, on, on my, on my rankings of receivers. I, 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 I put Lamb and Judy above him, uh, as well as Justin Jefferson from LSU, um, and, and he was probably tied fourth or maybe even fifth with, uh, with Brandon Ayuk, um, for me. So I think a lot of people saw it as a curious choice, but either way that that's, that's, that's an elite receiver talent. So, uh, Derek Carr gets a deep threat that can stretch the field. Um, and he's more than just a guy who can run straight and and hopefully run by guys and, and, and catch deep passes you know he you, you can use him on screens and sweeps and all that stuff you know he's a, he's a versatile player um I know <laughs> I know some Raiders fans who weren't necessarily thrilled about that pick but um I I I, I think he'll end up being uh, a, a, a pretty good player for them I he's 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 still an elite prospect um Jerry Judy ends up going 15th to the Denver Broncos they have Cortland Sutton, who who broke out last year and became a fantasy darling. So uh, that'll be a fun uh, receiver tandem on top of uh, Noah Fant, their extremely talented tight end from Iowa, who had a pretty solid rookie season. And then later on in the draft, they they took another uh, receiver. I think it was in the third round. They took KJ Hamler, who's a speed demon from Penn State. Um, so I mean, they <laughs> they got weapons all over the place for Drew Locke. And if Drew Locke is the guy. Uh, that they hope that he can be, then hey, watch out. That 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 could be a team to watch. They've got tons of offensive talent now. Uh, C.D. Lamb ended up going 17th to the Dallas Cowboys. Jerry Jones from his mega yacht where he was uh, where he was conducting his draft uh, takes C.D. Lamb at at 17, and they just gave Amari Cooper a hundred million dollars at the other wide receiver position in Dallas, uh, and they were I think the second most efficient offense in the league last year so they're adding cd lamb another elite receiver he goes i mean he's going to a pretty good situation there in dallas with zeke elliott dak prescott uh and amari cooper the new hundred million dollar man and uh i i think that's that's incredible value to get cd lamb 17th especially considering that many people had him as the first wide receiver coming off the board for him to kind of slip a little to 17 and for the dallas cowboys to swoop him up I think that's a great pick. Uh, Justin Jefferson and Jalen Rager were the next two wide receivers off the board. Rager went 21st to the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I think many people had a second round grade on him or or, or were mocking him uh, as being selected in the second round. Uh, but the Eagles decided, okay, we'll just, we'll just take a guy we really like um, at 21. And Jefferson went 22nd to the Minnesota Vikings. And, and I love Justin Jefferson. He, he was right up there with Lamb and Judy for me. Um, broke tons of records at LSU. He was he was playing on the other side uh, from another very good receiver in Jamar Chase, who wasn't even draft eligible this year because he was too young. I mean, he still got a year left of college to complete before he can declare for the draft. And uh, th- those two guys, along with uh, Thaddeus Moss, their tight end, and Joe Burrow, of course, the top pick in the draft. I mean, they just they just chucked it all over the field, man. <laughs> they they absolutely dominated college football. So uh, get on the Vikings. That's that's a very good pick. The Vikings had a very very good draft, and uh, it started with Justin Jefferson, uh, who comes in and and basically replaces uh, Stefan Diggs, who they traded away to the Buffalo Bills earlier in the offseason. Um, okay, I am a Niners fan. So for this next portion, we're going to get a little Niners-centric. We're going to go over their first couple of picks and then kind of work our way down the rest of their draft because uh, I kind of want to talk about what they did this past weekend. So if you're not a Niners fan, you can you know skip this part or or just or just turn it off. It's okay. I don't care. Um, uh, with, the, with the 14th pick, they decided to go with Javon Kinlaw, defensive tackle from South Carolina. The Niners originally had the 13th pick. And that was the pick that they got from the DeForest Buckner trade by way of Indianapolis. 
they decided to trade back one spot with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Buccaneers moved up, took Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, and in doing that, the Niners picked up a fourth-round pick from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Remember that, uh, because that's going to play a role in the next pick that we talk about. But as far as Javon Kinlaw goes, uh, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, after the draft, talked about how thrilled they were that he was still on the board. Because in, in, in many people's eyes, Kinlaw was probably the top interior defensive lineman on many people's boards i mean it was probably it was probably an even split between he and Derek brown of auburn uh brown goes off the board seventh to the panthers and kinlaw was still there and i mean there were teams after the panthers that you kind of think oh you know they they could use a disruptive presence in their interior d-line but, you know, a handful of other players dropped or, you know, teams prioritized something different. And then obviously there was a trade with the Buccaneers jumping the Niners and Kinlaw happened to still be on the board. And Lynch and Shanahan made it very clear that they were thrilled that Kinlaw was there. Um, so they went with him. Uh, he's a pure three technique. He, if, if, you watch, if you watch his film and if you watch his tape, and me personally, I mean, I can't just sit here and act like I watched him all season. But... Um, I uh, looking up his clips on YouTube, that type of thing. He's just a disruptive presence. Uh, the, the guy is just, you know, uh, he's 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 got just one move right now, which kind of shows how raw he is. But I mean, it's just like a bull rush. And if you wanted if you wanted to pick a guy that was similar to DeForest Buckner in the way that he was built, you'd probably go with Javon Kinlaw if you wanted somebody from this draft that could do what Buckner does and is built like Buckner is. Uh, Buckner about six seven three hundred Kinlaw six five six six and about three hundred twenty pounds, so you know he he's gonna be a handful in the middle for for offensive linemen uh to handle and you know if you if you watch his if you watch his highlights and you watch his tape that's all he does is he just completely wrecks interior offensive linemen and and creates pressure going up the middle and and that is something that the Niners weren't sure that they were going to have very much of with the departure of Buckner, but they basically replaced him with someone who who does a lot of the same things. And I think at the beginning of his career, he could be part of a rotation, which is going to help him a lot. You know, he could rotate with uh, DJ Jones, one of the current interior linemen on the team, and and um. And, and maybe a couple of other rotational defensive linemen. Solomon Thomas maybe kicks inside, plays in a rotation with him. Uh, that'll help him. You know, that'll that'll keep him fresh for, uh, you know, for the later stages of games and and hopefully keeps him healthy and, and helps him learn better, which is probably the most important thing. So uh, me personally, I, I, I like the pick. Um, you know, there were certainly people who thought that they should have went receiver. I mean, Jerry Judy went the pick after, and then three picks after that. I'm sorry. Yeah, three picks after the 14th pick was CeeDee Lamb goes to the Dallas Cowboys. I wouldn't have minded either of those two guys. Um, but the Niners obviously prioritized somebody coming in and replacing DeForest Buckner, and you can't blame them. So to trade back one spot, still get the guy that you want and pick up an additional mid-round pick, Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, their next pick was at 25, and this was a pick that they, didn't, that they didn't originally own this pick. They had the 31st overall pick. But they used, so here's the callback, they used the fourth rounder that they got from Tampa Bay and then, and then threw in an, an additional fifth rounder of their own along with 31 to move up to 25 with the Minnesota Vikings. And they took Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State. Now, this is a guy that I did see a lot of because he played in the Pac-12. So I I consider myself to be the foremost authority on Pac-12 football um, in, I don't know, maybe this five-mile radius that I live in. <laughs> not, not very many people watch Pac-12. The Pac-12 gets a bad rap, too. Um, and, I mean, I get it. You know, they're, they're not the best football or basketball conference. Uh, I think more so basketball than football, 
But, uh, you know, it's not like they're scrubs up and down the entire conference. There there are some good teams in the Pac-12. Um, and, you know, out here in the West Coast, they show a lot of Pac-12 games. So I've seen a good amount of Arizona State games. Arizona State actually played Cal this past season. Um, so I've gotten a chance to see Brandon Ayuk a good amount. And um, what I can tell you about this guy is he's a hand-in-glove fit with Kyle Shanahan's offense. Um, if he's even with a defender, he's gone. He ran 4-5 at the scouting combine, but he ran 4-5 with... Uh, he allegedly ran at the combine, did all the drills with a core muscle injury. He was just working through it. And when you watch this guy's highlights in his tape, he didn't look like 4-5. He looks like he plays faster than 4-5, and he probably is. It's just he he was at the combine with an injury. So uh, for people who are saying 4-5 is slow, it's weird, man. Like people, The, the goalposts keep moving on the whole 40-time thing. I remember when 4-5 was fast. <laughs> but he probably actually runs faster than, than the listed 4-5 that he, that he ran at the scouting combine. Um, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's got, like, incredibly broad shoulders and, like, freakishly long arms. He has an 81-inch wingspan. For reference, Calvin Johnson, one of the best wide receivers to ever play the game, uh, I believe he was 6-5. He had an 82-inch wingspan. Brandon Ayuk, I think, is a hair under six feet. He's got an 81-inch wingspan. He has he has a wingspan that is one inch shorter than Calvin Johnson. Uh, so his catch radius obviously big. I mean, you you throw it anywhere in his area, he's probably gonna be able to to reach out with those ridiculously long arms uh, and and haul it in. Um, he's I think you can use him as a deep threat if you'd like, but Shanahan especially over these last couple of seasons watching him, doesn't really push the ball downfield as much. And I know that some fans feel a certain way about that. They think that the Niners should be airing it out more. Well, why would you need to when you have a dominant run game and when you have guys like Debo Samuel uh, and you know this past season with Emmanuel Sanders who are very dangerous in the short intermediate area, sure. But, I mean, Debo Samuel was like, a de facto running back at times, you know, he, he, he led all rookies, he led all rookie wide receivers in rushing yardage because of the way that Shanahan used them. Ayuk is another guy that has a running back background. You know, he played running back and cornerback uh, in high school. So I, I, I think you can kind of tell where Kyle Shanahan's going with this pick. Uh, he's probably going to use them very, very similarly to the way that he used Debo Samuel this past season. He's going to get his ball. I mean, he's going to get the ball in Ayuk's hands quick, either on screens, reverses, uh, you know, those little touch passes as they're motioning across the formation. He's probably going to do things like that and get the ball in this kid's hands and let him make plays. And that's what you should do with guys who are ridiculously talented and who are great in space. So, me personally, I love the pick. Uh, I, I think coupled with the fact that I've been able to watch a good amount of him and knowing about him um, probably makes me love that pick more. Uh, and and I think, you know, good on the Niners for being aggressive and getting a guy that they want. They said that based on their intel, he was not going to be available at 31. So they had to be aggressive and they had to move up. And I know that a lot of fans... <laughs> I've seen a lot of differing reactions on social media uh, to the Ayuk pick and to the Kinlaw pick too, um, but especially to the Ayuk pick, just because they gave up a little bit in the middle rounds in order to come get him. It's a fourth and fifth, people. I I know I know John Lynch has made a killing in the fifth round, especially that's where he got George Kittle, that's where he got K, uh, Drake Greenlaw uh, in 2019, who ended up being a starter this past season, and of course made the famous goal line stop against the Seahawks in the final game of the season that got the Niners home field advantage throughout the NFC playoffs. But your chances of making the Niners roster as currently constructed, not very high. They're bringing back basically the entire squad. So it's it would be hard for young guys coming out of college or draft picks to try to make the roster over established players. I think... 
the Niners not having a single day two pick, which is, by the way, the first time that's ever happened to me as a Niners fan, where on the second day of the draft, I had absolutely nothing to watch. Um, I think them not having a day two pick, I think them giving up a fourth rounder that they acquired from the Buccaneers is a vote of confidence for the current roster. So, you know, if that's their philosophy, if that's the way they see it, then good on them for executing their plan. You know, they had their big board. They had the guys that they wanted. And in their eyes, they got incredible value with Brandon Ayuk, even though they did trade up for him. Because according to Shanahan, and I know it's easy to say this after you pick these guys, but Shanahan said that Ayuk was the top receiver on his board. And that the only other uh, receiver that was kind of in the same realm in his eyes was uh, C.D. Lamp. Who was on the who was on the board at 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 fourteen when they when they picked, but he decided no. Uh, passed on C.D. Lamb and ended up getting the guy that he wanted anyways in Brandon Ayuk. Um, we'll 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 move on down the list now. Uh, they didn't so the Niners didn't pick again <laughs> until until the fifth round, and and there's also a trade we need to talk about too, uh, which which we'll get to. But uh, in the fifth round, they chose Colton McKivitz. From West from West Virginia, uh, listed as a tackle, played most of his career at West Virginia at the tackle spots, but he also did kick inside a few times. So um, that might be something to look out for. Right now, the Niners don't have a definitive choice to play at the right guard position. They released Mike Person. Um, they they signed uh, I think I think his name's Tom Compton, uh, kind of a career journeyman. Uh, more of a rotational guard, um, and then they have Daniel Brunskill, who who was, I mean, his value last year to the Niners was, I mean, you you couldn't put a price on it, but the guy was very important because there were tons of injuries to the offensive line last year, and Brunskill kind of he kind of filled in wherever they needed him to. Uh, I think right now he's the presumptive fra- uh, favorite to take over the right guard position, but you know. We'll see because that's you know that that's that's not necessarily his natural position. So McKivitz either was a contingency plan uh, for Joe Staley, which again we'll, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit, uh, or maybe the Niners see him as a guy who can kick inside and play some guard, and that could be interesting to watch during camp um, to to see if uh, if he can compete for that starting job at right guard. Uh, in the sixth round, they chose Charlie Warner from Georgia and he's more of a blocking tight end um had a very high blocking grade uh he did not catch very many passes during his career at Georgia but I think the philosophy here if he ends up making the roster and some people see him as probably a very valuable guy in special teams um if he does make the roster though you know I I and and right now I think he's got a pretty good chance because right now behind George Kittle it's 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 basically just Ross Dwelly who was his backup last season uh that that really has a spot locked down as far as the tight ends go uh you know Charlie Warner I think can come in take some of the load off of Kittle when it comes to blocking on certain plays um there was a lot of talk about the Niners you know maybe trading for an established tight end to come in and be uh, the second option uh, behind Kittle to take some of the some of the workload off of him, but they decided to draft a blocking tight end, which I mean that that philosophy to me also that that that's fine, um, you know because Kittle is asked to do a lot in the run game, you know when even when there even when there aren't pass plays being called, he's on he's obviously he's, he's on the field he's on the field for most of the game because he's just so valuable to the Niners in so many different ways and. The run game, especially without him, does not work the same. When he was hurt for two games this past season, the Niners' run game was was not what we were used to it being. And then magically, he comes back, and all of a sudden, it's it's back to where it was before he got hurt, which was the second best run game in the league behind the Baltimore Ravens. Um, so, I think. Shanahan Lynch decided we need to give this guy more snaps off. We need to keep him more fresh for the later stages of games. They decided to go with a blocking tight end. And Levine Toilolo, 
who ended up signing with the Giants was a very important uh, uh, option as far as a blocking tight end for the Niners, but he's gone. Uh, and uh, Garrett Selleck also uh, retired. So they needed somebody to step in, take some of the blocking heat off of Kittle. They decided to go with Warner from, from Georgia, and uh, we'll see if he can make the roster. The Niners' seventh-round pick, very interesting. Juwan Jennings, wide receiver from Tennessee. Uh, I think a lot of people were kind of scratching their heads at first, thinking, why did the Niners draft another receiver? Well, I think the reason why is because of the incredible value that they got. Jennings was listed in the top 70 on Pro Football Focus's big, uh, big board. And in January, he was pegged as a first-round pick. Uh, he went to the combine, didn't run very well. He ran, I think, just under a four-seven. So I mean, that's 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 slow for a receiver. But you know, and I didn't know anything about this guy. But when I pulled up his tape, or when people started tweeting out his highlights after he was chosen by the Niners, uh, you can kind of tell why Kyle Shanahan would want somebody like this. He's six-three, about two-ten. Again, doesn't run very fast, but with the ball in his hands, the dude is an animal. Uh, I mean, he, he, he plays football like a psychopath. It's almost like he's, you know, I mean, like it's, it's a contact sport. You know, you, you can't be afraid of contact. This guy actively seeks out contact as a receiver. There is so many clips of him just running through guys, uh, you know, catching contested throws in between like five defenders, um, uh, just, just doing wild stuff. And, and part of the reason why he dropped was, yeah, he didn't run very well, but he had some off the field stuff too. Um, was dismissed from the team at, at one point. Um, I think he, uh, I think he went on like an Instagram tirade of some sort, uh, and got suspended for that. So, uh, off the field stuff might be a concern, but from all of the Tennessee fans that I saw tweeting about him after he got drafted, uh, they think the Niners got an absolute steal. And I mean, now the wide receiver core for the Niners is, it's flush. It's deep with talent. So we'll see who makes the roster and who doesn't. Um, there were some injured guys, Trent Taylor, Jalen Hurd, of course, who have been sitting out a while now with with injuries. <clears throat> excuse me, with injuries, and we'll see if they can heal up and and, and come back and make an impact for the team. But it kind of seems like uh, with Brandon Ayuk and with Jawan Jennings being drafted, you know, I think that sends a message to the current guys, like, hey, you know. Don't get complacent and don't think that you're not expendable because these guys are coming in and they could they could take your jobs. So we'll see. Um, we'll see once training camp comes around, whenever that will be. But uh, I think all in all, uh, the Niners did what they thought they needed to do, upgraded some skill position talent, got some depth for their O-line and D-line, um, and, and drafted a tight end that they think will, that will, will help with with the blocking side of things uh, behind arguably the best tight end in the league and George Kittle. So that was their draft picks, but you know, there was another event that took place on the last day of the draft. And that was Joe Staley retiring after 13 years in the NFL. And, uh, I don't think I'm going to spend too much time on this because I will get a little emotional. But Joe Staley has been the left tackle, the starting left tackle for the 49ers since 2007. Uh, He played his first game at the beginning of my sophomore year of high school. So since the middle of high school for me, (laughs) he's been the Niners starting left tackle. Um, I mean, 190 or so games, started every game he played in. you know, he he had been there when they were bad to when they were good, and then they were really bad after they were good after Jim Harbaugh, and and he got one more really, really incredible year to experience as a member of the San Francisco 49ers. It's a shame that the Niners couldn't have won a Super Bowl for Joe Staley before he retired, but one of my all-time favorite Niners, uh, one of the best left tackles to play the game during his time in the league. He was, you know, towards the end of the NFL season, or I'm sorry, uh, I think it was like a month, month or so ago, they named the all-decade team 
of the 2010s for the NFL. And Joe Staley made that team as this is starting left tackle. So uh, one of the best to do it this past decade, one of the best to do it ever, period, at that position. 13 years in the trenches is a long time. Um, and he cited health reasons. He said this past year, as fun and as incredible as it was, it took a lot out of him physically, took a lot out of his family, uh, you know, with him having to deal with being hurt, not being able to enjoy his life off the field as much as he wanted to. Now he gets to do that as much as he wants. Uh, and, and I couldn't be happier. So um, <laughs> congratulations to Joe Staley on, on an incredible career. Um, Niners fans will absolutely miss you. Uh, the absolute heart and soul of the offensive line for a decade plus. Um, so with Joe Staley being gone, they needed to replace him. They decided, the Niners decided, we're going to go out, we're going to try to trade for uh, one of the other best left tackles in the game, and Trent Williams. Uh, apparently, this has been this has been happening behind the scenes for a little while. I just think a lot of people had a doubt that it would happen because Dan Snyder, owner of of, of Washington, um, you know, he unceremoniously fired. Kyle Shanahan and and his dad Mike Shanahan uh, when they were uh, the head coach and offensive coordinator out in Washington and uh, I think ever since then uh, been a little black it, it's it's been it's been a lot of bad blood between the Shanahans and Dan Snyder so I think a lot of people were thinking no why would Dan Snyder trade arguably his his best player on on his roster for uh, to to a team coached by Kyle Shanahan who you know he has no love lost for um for basically nothing you know the ice the asking price on Trent Williams has gone down a lot over the past few months and um really it was just very poorly handled from from the red uh from from Washington's perspective and very poorly handled from Trent Williams' agent, <laughs> from from their perspective, because Trent Williams lost thirteen million dollars this past year by not playing at all. Um, I think in the end, Snyder realized, look, th- there's probably no place else that we can send him. The Vikings apparently had a deal in place for Trent Williams. Williams told them, "I don't want to go there," so uh, so they they reverse course went back, had conversations with the Niners, and the Niners gave up a third-round pick in 2021, so next year's draft, and they gave up a fifth-round pick in this year's draft for one of the best left tackles in the game. So there might not be any drop-off in left tackle play for the Niners next season. Uh, We'll see. With Trent Williams being out a year, you never know. Uh, also, we don't know if there's going to be training camp, OTAs, that kind of thing. Um, and even before that, Trent Williams hadn't played a full season since 2013. So he is he, he's missed a handful of games each season over the last four or five years. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see how he comes in. Personally, I, 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 I thought it was a great move. I, th- I think that's incredible value, just giving up two mid-round picks for Trent Williams. Um, he's going to come in, I think he's going to play out the last year on his deal, which is $12 million and it's unguaranteed by the way. So, you know, for his sake, I hope, I hope that nothing bad happens injury wise to him because he's playing on an unguaranteed deal this coming season, but maybe they get a deal hammered out for the long term. We don't know. Uh, but Trent Williams was drafted by Mike Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan. He was the fourth overall pick in 2010. And and the Shanahans were in charge um, of the Redskins at the time. So they know Trent Williams very well. He's familiar with Kyle Shanahan. Uh, He's probably, he's going to fit in seamlessly with his own blocking scheme uh, of Kyle Shanahan. And I hopefully it, it ends up working out perfectly and then and that there is no you know big adjustment period or anything like that and he comes in and he's healthy and he's fresh after taking a year off and gets back to playing like one of the best left tackles in the game he's a seven-time pro bowler and a two-time all pro so hopefully he comes in and uh we see no significant drop off 
from his play as compared to Joe Staley's. Um, but yeah, it was a, that's a big move and, and kudos to John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan for going out there and getting a known commodity to come in and play a very important position because you can't just have anybody protecting your quarterback's blind side. Um, yeah. And, and, and again, for a third and a fifth, fine by me, you know, I, I, if you want to look at it this way, the Niners may have only had, what was it, five five selections, but you could say that D Ford was a second round pick in this year's draft, and I mean, if D Ford's a second rounder, then hey, that's pretty good because they traded away their second rounder last year in this year's draft in order to get D Ford in a trade with the Kansas City Chiefs, and then you could say that you got Trent Williams in the fifth round this year because that's what they gave up. So for a lot of the fans who are out there upset about the Niners getting rid of their fourth and fifth and, you know, like not picking up more draft capital, uh, you know, I, I understand why you feel that way. I understand why you'd want more quantity when it comes to a draft that's especially deep at some very important positions. But I think Lynch and Shanahan think that it's going to be hard to make their roster. They're going to keep the young guys to a limited amount and bring in guys that they really wanted and chose quality over quantity. And then on top of that, picked up one of the best left tackles in the game that's going to slide in and is 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 going to help immensely with the offensive line, which honestly probably still needs some work, but, uh, but, but we'll see what kind of moves that they make down the line. Um, I think that's it. I think that's all I wanted to talk about today. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. Let's talk about The Last Dance real quick. Just real, real quick. Uh, they've shown four episodes up to this point, and uh, I have no doubt in my mind that this Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, is going to win an Oscar. It's so good. It is so good. Um, love the archive footage. Love the the candid footage that was caught and captured for this entire thing. Uh, they were sitting on this for a long, long time. You know, just all this footage and all these interviews and stuff. They they had all this for for such a long time, um, and then they finally decided, yeah, let's make a documentary. Michael Jordan was just like, yeah, let's do it. Um, Oh, it's it's so great. I love the format. I love the storytelling, the non-linear storing te- uh, storytelling uh, format uh, of this documentary. Uh, you know, the main focus is on Michael Jordan's last season in Chicago, the 1998, the 97-98 NBA season. Um, but, you know, they take you back. They take you back in time to see how this team was built. They... They take certain episodes to focus on certain people, certain players, um, and you really get to see the inner workings of uh, an incredibly well-run franchise, and you really get a deep dive into the mind of one of the greatest athletes who has ever lived. Quite, I mean, arguably one of the, you know, arguably the best basketball player ever. Michael Jordan is the central figure of this of this documentary. Um, and yeah, it's it, it's crazy. The dude, the dude is the dude is just different. <laughs> he's just wired different. Uh, he he's he's just you know there's a reason why the guy won so much. Uh, and there's a reason why he has you know so much respect amongst his peers and with his teammates and coaches and whatnot. And, and you get to see that. Uh, you get to see that in this documentary. Uh, he's kind of a psychopath. Honestly, he's just, yeah, dude's a sociopath. Dude, he was so keyed in and so zoned in on winning that, I mean, it, it didn't matter what it took. Um, and, uh, and, you, and you get to see that part of him. You get to see really behind the scenes uh, his drive and his work ethic that really got him uh, to the top of uh, the sport and really the, the top of the world, really. Michael Jordan, one of the greatest and most important uh, figures in the game of basketball. Um, yeah, just an incredibly well done documentary. Um, you know, we will, we'll, we'll probably talk more in depth, uh, 
when it comes to the last dance, Zach and I, because I know uh, he and I are both watching that. But uh, yeah, it, it's great. I mean, if you're a basketball fan, you'll definitely love it. But I know that you know, even if you're just a casual basketball fan, if you're a casual ob- observer, or if you just you know, if you just like uh, Michael Jordan or Scottie Pippen, or if you know, if you're a Lakers fan that didn't really get to see the Jordan Bulls, but you were a fan when Phil Jackson was coaching the Lakers to five championships, and you want to you know learn more about Phil Jackson, you 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 will definitely get very very good insight uh, on, on Phil Jackson and really everybody involved with, uh, how those Bulls teams were built and, uh, get a really, really up close and personal look at how they navigated, uh, that 97, 98 season. That was the last season for Jordan in Chicago. Um, I mean, 10 out of 10 great documentary. And they're dropping two episodes every Sunday. It's a 10 part series. They're dropping two episodes every Sunday. I think, I mean, there's three more weeks of this. So, uh, I mean, if you're not watching, what are you doing? Uh, I highly recommend, and I'm sure anybody out there who's watching it would, would, would highly recommend as well. Um, so yeah, I, I think, uh, I think that's it. We'll end it on that. Uh, thanks for tuning in everybody. Uh, don't forget to subscribe, like, you know, all that stuff. Um, And uh, I think we're going to see you again this week and talk to you again this week. Zach and I will hop on um, and do our usual co-host format. So until next time, this is Drew. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Take care.